1077 The Franchise is your flagship for Oklahoma sports. So we decided to launch a podcast with the very best names in Oklahoma sports media to cover it. When they said no, we called in some interns. Thank goodness John changed his mind before we did something stupid. This is Inside OU with John Hoover on the Franchise Podcast Network. Well, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Inside OU podcast on the Franchise Podcast Network. Brady, (laughs) let's have a little energy there, man. No, let's not. Oh, the end of this football season is upon us, Brady. Let's, John, it's time for, it's time to celebrate. I'll get this right out. It I'll get this right off the bat. Um, I've already seen this discussed. Um, and by the way, John is in the what the Houston airport right now. I am uh, yeah experiencing like a five hour layover at the Houston airport on my way back from sunny uh, Atlanta, Georgia. From that debacle. No, I've I've yeah. already seen this asked on Twitter discussed by OU fans. Even some of my um, own friends and family have texted me and asked me my opinion. Hey, is this is this bowl loss to LSU worse than the USC game? The USC game was much worse. Was I, it? Yes. Okay. I went into that game with hope, John. I went into that game with an understanding that well, OU has more than a good chance to win this game because OU is very, very good. They've got a good defense. Yeah. They've got Adrian Peterson, Jason White, all those skill position guys. And so... The first half of that game when it was, what, 36-10, 38-10 or something like that, that was incredibly surprising. Now, you and I did a very good job of probably getting OU fans' hopes up with our previous podcast. Yeah, Um, that's no lie. So if we got your hopes up, our apologies. But, you know, like even after the suspensions, John, I told you, I told other people, I'm not going to pretend that I had my hopes very high for this game, even with Ronnie Perkins or Ramondre Stevenson. It doesn't help, but that's right. Yeah, I'm just going to like I'm not going to pretend like I thought OU had a bit that big of a chance. And yes, the 63 points that LSU scored was very surprising. Um, I don't like. Are they 35 points better than Oklahoma? I mean, on that day, yes. Um, fully healthy, non-suspended OU team. I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter if they lost by 10 points, 20 points, 30 points. LSU is just the better team. That's what matters. But I just want to get it out of the way. The USC game was much worse than this crap. Okay, so so there's two ways to look at this, Brady, before we move on. Um, the USC game was probably worse because OU had at least similar talent, maybe not equal, but similar talent. So you can say, yeah, they, they crapped the bed. and Yeah, there wasn't a know. large talent discrepancy as there is right. now, and we'll get into that later, and, trust and me. And what happened in that game uh, that night at Miami Gardens, Florida, was uh, the team quit. The team literally quit on that game. So um, what happened last night was the team wasn't any good. The, t- the talent disparity, I mean, you're, you're talking about, you know, not – not 2009 Sooners where you lost, uh, you know, Sam Bradford and Jermaine Gresham and Trent Williams and Brody Eldridge and all those guys. But you lose enough starters off a team that doesn't have any depth and already doesn't have, you know, a bunch of five stars and first round draft picks. That's what happens. What, what happened last night is what happened. So I ask you again, which is worse because with one you're losing a bunch of NFL guys. You're losing a bunch of, you know, uh, Heisman winner and Adrian Peterson. And I guess you're not losing him, but, you know, he's coming back for a sophomore year. But with the other one, you look around and you're like, oh, my God. 
probably the eight best players off this team are not coming back next year. So yeah. which one's worse? I mean, are you going to be able to reload? Now, oh, you didn't reload very well in 2005, let's be honest. But are they going to be a uh, back in that picture, back in that kind of category again in 2020 where you're relying on a bunch of freshmen? No, no, no. It's, Including it's, a five-star quarterback, I might add. Yeah, and I was another gonna, similarity. And I was going to say, thank God Spencer Rattler didn't get that first down or we'd have Tanner Mordecai out there, John, and then we'd have <laughs> an open competition going into this winter and spring workouts. Not buying it. <laughs> I mean, Not how, hard did, how hard did you have to stop from laughing when Lincoln Riley told you that crap? But, oh, if you got yeah. a first down, we'd put Tanner out. Oh, come on, dude. So here's something for our listeners just real quick. Um, this morning, I got a call from Eric Bailey who had received a text from Mike Houck saying Lincoln Riley is going to do media this morning uh, at the at the team hotel before embarking on the bus ride to the airport. And so I looked at my phone and I said, Eric Bailey, what's he calling me at 8 o'clock in the morning for? Jeez, I, I think I'll just put this one down. I turned the phone over and it kept vibrating. Vibra- I picked it up and I'm like, wait a minute. This could be important. <laughs> he, might need, he might need a ride to the airport or something. So I picked it up. And it was, uh, it was Eric, and he said, uh, Lincoln Riley, he's got uh, media today. Holy crap. So no shower, barely had time to brush my teeth and tie my shoes. Did you put your pants on? I did put my pants on. Good. Uh, there, we made it to the team hotel, eight of us. We sat with Lincoln for about 30 minutes, a little, little less than 30 minutes. Asked him some easy questions, asked him some hard questions. Um, and I think he did a pretty fair job of answering most of them. But one of them was, hey, is uh, – when did when did Spencer become the backup quarterback? <laughs> and he said, "Oh no, no, that's not that's not what happened. Uh, I was going to put Tanner in on the next uh, if he had completed that if he had converted that third down. I was going to put Tanner Mordecai in. Nobody's buying that. Spencer Rattler is the uh, Sooners' backup in, in the bowl game, and he's the Sooner starter in, uh, projected forward. Meaning, Tanner Mordecai is probably going to probably going to transfer. You never know, but he might." Oh, I mean, I I don't even want to say that I kind of get it, the politicking that Lincoln Riley has to do with you guys in the media about, like, it's an open competition, or no, I was going to put Tanner out there, He like, Spencer is not the backup quarterback. Like, I get it. I guess you live in this era of the transfer portal. You live in this era of, like, if a quarterback understands that he's not going to play, especially when the, the other guy that's going to be starting over him is younger than he is, then yeah. Right. You got It's the numbers game. Like quarter, only one quarterback plays. You, it's not like defensive tackle or offensive guard where you can rotate guys in and get plenty of playing time reps. Like you're going to probably take your chance and transfer elsewhere. And if Lincoln and Lincoln Riley is a smart guy, he wants Spencer Rattler to be the starter, but he needs to have a competent backup behind him in case Spencer Rattler rolls an ankle or something. Like you have to have a competent backup in some respect. So I understand it, but it's still silly. It's still silly, John. Yeah, it's silly, but it is what it is. He's got to he's got to say what he's got to say, and and that's uh, you know he he also we're coming to find out that there that uh, oh you might get some recruiting news in the immediate future. Yeah, um, he's gonna. They're, they're, we're hearing uh, we're hearing rumors and reports. I'm not gonna put any names out there or anything just yet. Just keep your eyes peeled in the coming days because uh, that's that situation might solve itself. Think about it. If Mordecai transfers down to one scholarship quarterback so and if and if that's the case you're going to need some help immediately somewhere 
because uh, Brock Vandegrift from 2021, he ain't arriving for a while. Yeah, I mean, there's a name out there. It, it's so connected. Like, you don't have to put it out there, John. I'll just go ahead and say it. Uh, Chandler no, Morris. No, no, no. no. Uh, yeah, okay. It's Chandler Morris. You did it. You said it. All right. Um, now, his father got a uh, job. What was it? Auburn? was. Is he at Auburn now? Um, yes. Working for Gus. Yeah, offensive coordinator for Gus Malzahn. Uh-huh. I, I've never seen Morris be connected to Auburn in terms of like, okay, he's just going to follow his dad. Um, and you've got to think, I mean, if Lincoln Rye's going to... I thought that was a real thing. But the, but the reality is if, if his dad gets fired in a couple of years or the, the head coach gets fired and then he gets fired, yep. uh, what does he do? Is he, he's stuck at a school and then he's got to enter the transfer portal. So, so you're right. I mean, that's uh, smart on his part. Yeah, and obviously, like like I said, oh, he's going to need a competent backup at some point. But even still, like an eighteen year old freshman, whatever, you just hope that Spencer Rattler is everything that he's hyped up to be. But um, before we get into the game a little bit, John, let's. I mean, we're talking about Spencer. I mean, am I reading too much into? I had my I had my opinions of Spencer Rattler. The, the, the ability, the athleticism, undeniable. And mm-hmm. even even in his few plays um, in the Peach Bowl. There was that one play, I, th- I think it was the play where he ended up running for about seven or eight yards and slid right before the uh, first down marker. Um, he goes through his progressions exactly how you're supposed to go through them. He stands tall in the pocket, snaps his head, snaps his head, snaps his head, and then takes off. And mm-hmm. I'm sorry, like I know OU fans don't like Jalen Hurts right now, and I-, I have no idea how history will look back on him. And I'm a history nerd, and I try to think about these things even during the moment. Like, how will history remember CeeDee Lamb? How will history remember Baker Mayfield? I really have no idea how OU fans will remember Jalen Hurts, and there's a part of me that feels like that a lot of people are going to have a negative taste in their mouth when Jalen Hurts' name gets brought up, and a lot of that's going yeah. to be because of how this season ended. But mm-hmm. I like Jalen Hurts. I, there's just something about him that I like. Some of his stuff is corny. Some of his stuff is kind of for show. The whole Michael Jordan thing was really... I, I didn't like that one bit, but I, I just there's just something about him that I like. I, I'm really curious if it was completely and utterly necessary for him to be a part of this team, Jalen Hurts, um, so to speak, for the long haul, for Spencer Rattler. Because, you you, oh, go ahead. ahead. No, no, you go ahead. Because you got a well, chance to no, talk to him. I, I want you to finish your point, and then I'll, I'll offer mine. Well, so. so I had my opinions, and some of that kind of stemmed from, you know, he gets suspended from high school for reasons. I think – Everybody has a good idea as to what happened, but no one wants to really say. So sure. we'll just leave it vague. Um, and then the uh, QB1 thing on Netflix comes out. And, I mean, I don't know about you, John. I watched I watched the stuff that he was in, and I just kind of came away with, yeah, I mean, he's just kind of a little cocky, cocky quarterback playing at, for an Arizona high school. I don't know. Like, we, we've seen Rhett Bomar types. We've seen highly ranked quarterbacks at other schools get their first lick of competition in and they don't know how to handle it. And so I had my opinions and then you got a chance to talk to him and I saw that YouTube video on your YouTube channel and I, I got to say, I came away just incredibly impressed and we talked about it a little bit on the previous podcast so I don't want to rehash too much but I, I'm really curious if Jalen Hurts being here was was completely necessary for the long haul of OU football because maybe yeah. his, just being, being around Spencer, Jalen Hurts, just being around Spencer, maybe that's what he needed Maybe he needed that to mature, to get it, if that makes any sense. But we're not going to know that for another year or so. So it's a little silly to talk about. I'm just curious what your thoughts are. 
Yeah. Uh, first of all, you promoting my YouTube channel. Thank you for that. Of and course. it reminds me to to finish my point from five minutes ago on the uh, the Q and A with Lincoln Riley. The full Q and A, twenty twenty eight minute, twenty seven minute, whatever it was, Q and A with Lincoln Riley is on our website, thefranchiseok.com. You can read the whole thing. We had some some uh, students transcribe it. I went in and cleaned it up. It's all good. Everything is on there. Is legit. Go read it, thefranchiseok.com. And, and if you're incredibly lazy, you can still go to John Hoover's Twitter account, and you screenshotted some uh, pretty good quotes yeah. from the article. There's some good ones in there. So, At Johnny Hoover, sure. There you go. But, no, here, here's what I think about Jalen Hurts. Was he the right man at the right time, right man for the job at the right time? I think he absolutely was. This is a transition year with Alex Grinch and the defense – with uh, you know, C.D. Lamb finishing his career, Kenneth Murray finishing his career. You got a, a handful of juniors, good good players who are leaving. Um, most most likely, I haven't heard anything yet tonight on Kenneth Murray. Did I say Kenneth Mann? I think I did. Oh I mean, well, I mean Ken, Kenneth Murray. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Kenneth Mann's one of those other guys that's been injured all season. Anyway, no, this this being a transition year for OU, not a rebuilding year, but a transition year. He was the perfect guy for the job because he you you turn you turn the OU offense over to a true freshman or a redshirt freshman, Tanner Mordecai, uh, you would not be playing in the college football playoff. You would not have five consecutive Big Twelve championships. You would not be twelve and two. You would be nine and three at best. At best, more than likely seven and six. Eighteen year old Spencer Rattler is not no. walking into the Cotton Bowl and getting a win. No, 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 no. He's so, not. He's not going through that four or five week uh, stretch of OU playing all those great defensive teams in the yeah, Big Twelve and coming Baylor, off unscathed. Twice, Iowa State, TCU, and Oklahoma State. No, he's not. He's not winning. He's not going undefeated in in that stretch. So. Well, but, I mean, but, but guys, Jalen Hurst, talk- didn't, Jalen Hurst didn't play well in those games either. It was the defense. It's like, no, it, it's it's yeah. still a team game, and Jalen Hurst still made some plays necessary to win those games, even yeah. though he sucked in a lot of them. You can't have it both ways. I mean, the defense is what the defense is. Sometimes they play well, and sometimes they don't. Same with Jalen Hurts. Sometimes he plays well. Sometimes he plays uh, abnormally, exceedingly, galactically well, and sometimes he plays kind of human. I said in my column last night they needed Jalen Hurts Against LSU, they needed Jalen Hurts to be Superman, and he was just an ordinary man. Yeah, I mean, it started off right from the get-go, John. I mean, that first play, uh, good protection by the yeah. offensive line, and that was that was a good sign. But the more and more Jalen Hurts stood back there, it's just like, please throw it away or take it off. Please throw it away yeah. or take it off, and then he gets sacked. The first drive went negative, and then a three and out. From what inside your 10, 15 yard line, and then a shank, and, and then and then it, and then they forced a three and out of LSU, first down, and then second down, and then touchdown. Right? That is that a three and out? Is that technically no, L- a three and out when L- they when they score on three plays? Oh, there you go. I see what you're going here. Yeah. yeah. So maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe that's not technically a three and out. Maybe that's a three and in. Um, that was uh, that was a rough start, and then what happens? OU has to punt on the next drive, and you're like, wait a minute. This this is it was it was a bad dude. Here's what happened. Let me just lay it out for you. Uh, I was writing for Sporting News last night, and I was writing for the franchise, and I had of course post game videos and all that stuff. So about uh, middle of the second quarter, I pulled a John Hoover circa 2004 Miami Gardens, Florida, oh, and no. stopped watching the game. <laughs> I got stuff to do. I can't be sitting here tied get tied down to some football game. Bunch of guys out there running around, not knowing what the hell they're doing. 
So I literally, I have no memory, Brady, of the uh, the uh, about the from the middle of the second quarter on of the Orange Bowl in 2004 and of last night's game. I just, I mean, uh, you know, as a sports writer, that's what you do when the no. game is in hand. That's what you do. You focus on writing your story, getting all the stats right, getting the quotes right, uh, getting everything done by deadline, or at least getting out of the press box at a decent hour. That is, that is not Hoover being lazy, people. That is the bit. That is how the industry is accomplished. Is when there's a blowout, you start writing your stuff. When there's when there when it's not a blowout, you wait until the last second and you don't write anything uh, that's not absolutely you know necessary. No, like two weeks ago, I had to freelance for the Norman Transcript to cover the Thunder and the Suns, and the Thunder beat the Suns by like 22 points, and I loved every single second of it. Oh John. yeah, those are the best. I was like, all I gotta do is plug in quotes. This is great. Yep, love it. No. Yep. Um, well, so I so I so I don't have recall is what I'm saying. I don't have total recall of last <laughs> night's game, and for that I will rely on you. Well, I'll do my best. Um, like like I told you before we went on air, I I didn't really drink. I had like maybe three beers last night because, <laughs> like I also told you before we went on air, um, I learned a few years ago that uh, OU is not going to influence my heavy drinking anymore because if that's going to be the case, I will get cirrhosis by the time I'm 32. I'm 29 You'll years old. You'll either be a Pulitzer Prize winning author or you'll be in a grave somewhere. Yeah, Pulitzer Prize winning author, but I mean Hemingway was also kind of an asshole. <laughs> I mean, like he's not very he's he's a good writer, great writer. I love for whom the bell tolls for obvious reasons, but uh, not a good human being. But um no, the you know, like we already talked about, OU goes three and out, LSU scores in three plays. But then John, OU just Jalen Hurts heaves a ball one on one. Was it coverage. the second drive? Yeah, the deep throw to, to CD. Okay, one on one coverage with CD Lamb, and CD Lamb just comes down with it. Just dude's man, a man. I thought they were gonna. I thought they were in it at that point. I thought okay. Uh, I started. It, it, was, it was like that. It was it was like the Orange Bowl where OU went down and scored first. Yeah, or maybe it was seven seven. They tied at seven seven, and you're thinking, hmm, okay. There we go. Maybe maybe they're on to something. Yeah, and if and LSU's the same, go- same thing happened last night. And if LSU's going to continue to go put CeeDee Lamb one-on-one on an island, then Jalen Hurts, he has accuracy issues. He has issues scanning the field. But if he locks on to CeeDee Lamb one-on-one, he's got, an, he's got a strong enough arm that he can get it there, at least into yeah. the area where CeeDee Lamb can go be a man. And CeeDee Lamb's a man. And he, he earned it on that one. Kennedy Brooks walks into the end zone the next play for a touchdown, 7-7. Seven to seven. Then LSU, I believe, uh, is the next drive is when OU forced them into an actual three and out. Uh, was it? Yeah, I think they sacked Joe Burrow. Um, I've got the play by play right here, man. Go right ahead. I don't. I don't have to remember. I've got it. I've got it all written down. Well, basically, let's just fast forward to it's fourteen to seven. And then OU has the ball. And then the one play that people are saying, like, if this got called correctly, OU doesn't lose by 35, they lose by 28. As if it's some kind of, you know, better victory here. Um, That's A&M talk, I would assume. But uh, that's good. That PI, that non-call PI on Jaden Hazelwood, it's like the officials assumed Jalen Hurts was just throwing the ball away because I think Jalen was – he was on the other other side of the field on on that hash mark running towards – the boundary mm-hmm. and heaving it like with his last ditch effort, heaving it towards the bound, the opposite boundary. And it's like the officials just decided, okay, he's throwing it away. The ball lofted into the, it stayed in the air forever. And it allowed Jaden Hazelwood to readjust and come back to the football. And then this LSU defense back just goes, boom, hits him. And then the ball 
flails right into Jaden Hazelwood's hands while he's on the ground. I, I still can't believe that that play wasn't called. Yeah. Then again, OU just gets a first down, and I believe they'd be on the LSU 47. So there's no guarantees at that point. But a 14-7 game after OU scored on their previous drive, thanks in large part to a 50-yard pass. If anyone's ever watched football, you know momentum and rhythm, especially with Oklahoma's offense, is incredibly important, and that would have helped the rhythm for sure. It wouldn't have helped OU win the game because they'd lose regardless, but the next drive is really when I started getting pissed off, John. I'm sorry I'm talking uh, a lot, but I wanted to get to this point. Yeah. Because when we were when we were together and we talked about the OU winning the Big 12 championship, you tried your hardest to get me to show some praise for Trey Brown mm-hmm. because he simply – Ran straight for 80 yards and caught up with somebody slower than him. And, 23 and, miles an hour, Brady. 23.4 miles per hour. Don't get me wrong. It was a big play. If he doesn't catch up to him, Baylor probably wins that, that game in, oh, in oh, regulation. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The way OU's offense was going, I, I didn't really have a lot of faith that Jalen Hurts is going to be able to march down the field right. methodically and score to win. But So I'll give Trey Brown some some kudos there. The next drive with LSU after the missed P.I. call, um, OU forces LSU into a third and long. And this is thanks in large part to this is like one of the few times in the game where Alex Grinch dials up pressure outside of the three-man rush. Like he was sending Kenneth Murray, he was sending Deshaun White, and they were actually getting to Joe Burrow and forcing him to either take off a little bit sooner, throw the ball a little bit sooner, which is what we talked about. That's what you've got to do. You've got to make it a little harder on Joe Burrow. This third down play, Joe Burrow is running for his absolute life. Kenneth Murray is about to chase, about to catch him, and his hamstring pops. And then Joe Burrow just decides, ah, oh, it, and throws it straight up into the air. And then Trey Brown, a guy who doesn't know how to play football, John, doesn't know where the ball is, and LSU just catches it like, oh, this was, like, let's this, this fuck off play. And from that moment on, the game was over. I had had it with Trey Brown. And we're going to get to this a little bit later because one of my favorite subjects is, of course, to blame Bob Stoops for all those problems, and we will get there. Trey Brown is a Bob Stoops, Mike Stoops recruit. He's too small. All he is is fast. He doesn't know how to play football or make football plays, and that spurned on the snowball, John. I f***ing can't stand watching that shit anymore. Yeah, he uh, he needs to be coached up, whether it's uh, you know Manning, Roy Nothing Manning, can save or... Him. Nothing can save him. Hey, he's got coaches there for a reason. Those coaches make three, four hundred thousand dollars a year for a reason. They need to get off their ass and coach that kid up. Well, that's, that's my point. That's true, but John, he's like, got natural ability. He's got natural. Thing. He's got natural sprinting ability. He can't catch the ball, even if it's thrown directly to him. He can yeah. rarely snap his head back and play the football, which is what you have to do to, to be a defensive back. Right. I just see nothing out of him that says football player. That was uh, that was third and two from the LSU twenty-two. Uh, he flips the ball up in the air. He looks like he's throwing it away, like that hurts play. Yeah, hurts rolls to the sideline. It was a it was a bad throw. It. it was a bad. It was throw. a bad throw. Yeah, and, and uh, Burrow said so. He said, "I just threw up a fifty-fifty ball, and those guys bailed me out." That was about their fourth best best receiver, Terrace Marshall, and he went up in a crowd over Trey Brown and pulled that thing down. That's you're right, Brady. That's when you knew this was not going to be Oklahoma's day because they went on and they cashed in that drive and it was 21-7. The uh, non-pass interference happened when uh, OU was trying to keep up and it was de- they were down 14-7 to and they probably needed a score there. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so consider this for just a second. You get your pass interference there and then you get your, uh, you know, that you end up 
you know, get scoring a touchdown, make it uh, 14, 14, 14, right? Yep. And instead of, uh, instead of punting to LSU down at the 14 yard line, uh, maybe you get a stop right there on third and two. Maybe Trey Brown plays the proper technique and the ball falls incomplete and LSU's punting it back to you at 14 to 14. So what Lincoln Riley said, I know, listen, I know, I understand, I feel you, that people are sick to death of hearing Lincoln Riley say, uh, they just made plays and we didn't make plays. We were just a couple plays away. If we had made a couple more plays, people listen to that and go, bullshit, we got our brains beat out. Okay, yeah, I get that. I get it. You're right. But Lincoln Riley is not entirely wrong. If, if they get that pass interference – and then Trey Brown knocks down that pass or uh, Terrace Marshall doesn't make a freaking trapeze artist catch, all of a sudden it's 14-14 and OU has the football back. What happens from that point? Well, LSU probably imposes its its will and wins the game 45-28 would be my guess, something like that. But at least it's not 63. You know, when you start getting in the 60s, I was remarking halfway through the second quarter, they were on pace for 70 points, and they could have scored 70 easy. They were actually on pace for 100, yeah. and they could have scored 100 if they would have wanted to. No, it's I mean, it's it's true. And, I mean, if you've watched college football a lot, and I'll give my friend Matt Kimber a shout-out because he we talked about this after the game. If you've watched college football long enough, it, it really shouldn't surprise you when these things happen. And OU's not the only team that's had their brains beat in in the playoff short history. I mean, Michigan State got shut out. Ohio State got shut out a few years ago by Clemson. The thing that happens more times than not, when you're watching a game played by 18 to 22-year-olds on huge stages like this, you know, and yes, the talent between OU and LSU, it's, it's a pretty significant gap. But, it's it, stark. but at the end of the day, OU still has really good players. They have really good, highly talented, some of the best players in America, and LSU is just on a little bit of a different level. Here's the deal. Up. Here's the deal, though. You're throwing a third down pass on the sideline to Nick Basquin, who I think is a tremendous human being. Uh, the the walk-on factor and the, the things that he's overcome and the local kid and the knee injuries and Achilles, whatever it was, injuries. The trick play? To, to, to be where he is. Yeah, the trick play. To be where he is, and not not just that one, it was a different one. It was another throw where they threw the Basquin, and it was like, oh, yeah, he'll catch that. Oh, no, he won't, because the guy swooped in out of nowhere and, and you know collided with him and knocked the ball down. Um, oh, he know, picked it off. Uh, that's, that's what I'm saying. He picked off the uh, the flea flicker, the uh, inside screen, middle, middle screen flea flicker throwback lob pass. Yeah, he picked that one off, yeah. but I think there was another one they tried to go to him, and it was just a futile attempt. It looked like it looked like, I mean, it looked like the LSU receivers against the OU defensive backs. When when OU receivers, not named C.D. Lamb, were out there trying to catch a pass, it looked like the same physical NFL, future NFL player versus nice little former walk-on college player. It was embarrassing, the, the, yeah. the disparity in the talent that you're talking about there. So whether it was and, – and, and, you know, say what you want to about the offensive line. I think they really struggled last night. They got say their what asses you want kicked. To. Yeah, say what you want to about the defensive line. I think they really struggled last night. And then you talk about throwing the football down the field. Who made all the plays? LSU's defensive backs and LSU's wide receivers. It was unbelievable, the disparity in the talent. What Lincoln Riley said this morning was, was pretty telling. He said, this was the best playoff team we faced. Meaning... Better than Clemson in 2015 that 
oh, that won the national championship. Did they win the national championship? No, they lost. No, they lost to Alabama. Uh, better than uh, better than uh, you know twenty uh, Georgia in twenty seventeen, which should have won the national championship if not for Tua, if not for that pass, if not for you know a couple of things, a couple of plays in that game, and better than you know last year the Alabama team that lost the national championship. So he, Lincoln Riley said that team talent wise is better than any playoff team we faced. That's pretty telling. So when when you've got an Oklahoma team that's as we said earlier in the transition year. And you've got an LSU team that's the best team Lincoln Riley's faced. <laughs> it's a bad, it's a yeah. bad marriage. No, I mean that's all true. Like I'm not going to deny any of that. All I'm saying is sometimes when you're watching games played by 18 to 22 year olds, and one thing can go wrong, it can easily snowball. That's why you don't really see a lot of the stuff in the NFL. I mean, the talent gaps yeah. really aren't that wide because mm-hmm. th- those are professional football players. Those, those are the best of the best. But the factor of the snowball is much more prevalent in college football. And that's why at the beginning of the podcast when I was like, is LSU 35 points better than OU? That's not me being biased OU fan saying, oh, if they played 10 times, OU would win five or four. Like, no, they would probably lose all 10 of them. But I don't know if they're 35 points better because it just got comically bad from that point on, from the point um, after the Trey Brown mishap, Mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it. From that point on, it just got comically bad. And yeah, then, it was 28, 28 nothing, uh, interception. Or I'm sorry, 28 7, interception, 35 7, uh, 35 14, and then they come out in the second quarter and it's 42 49, just like that. One play drives, one play touchdown drives. It's like, what is happening here? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I'm sure they were sa- saying the same thing. Imagine Justin Broyles, imagine Woody Washington out there saying, do what now? I got to I gotta cover him. I got to. Uh, that was the mismatch, Brady, that I told you. I don't see how Oklahoma's defensive backs are going to be able to slow down uh, LSU's receiver core. Who's and is Justin, that? Justin Jefferson looked like John Jefferson from the 80s Chargers, man. He caught everything, throwing four touchdowns in the first half. It was a seven-on-seven seven drill. It was a seven-on-seven seven drill. It absolutely was. Yeah, it absolutely was. The uh, uh, LSU offensive line just mauled the front seven of, of OU's defense, front six, and the back, the back end guys had no chance. Yeah, and LSU and Joe Burrow were smart. They were incredibly smart. They just went after Justin Broyles. Now, I'm trying to I'm trying to go in sequence here, so if I've skipped over this play, if this didn't happen after the Trey Brown thing, I can't exactly remember, so apologies. But I'm trying to remember as best as I can, but that was a debacle. Um, after the Trey Brown thing, OU pins LSU deep in their own territory, and they've got a big third. I think it's actually third and ten, third and nine or third and ten. And OU secondary does a good job of covering everybody up. There's no pressure because the entire right side of the field is open. And so Joe, Joe Burrow has to take off, but he's taking off, you know, 10, 12 yards deep, you know, from away from the uh, first down marker. Buki Radley Hiles has him. He is the only guy over there that can make this tackle. Yep. And you got to think Buki's faster than Joe Burrow. He can Mm -hmm. beeline straight to him. Can he make the tackle? That remains to be seen. He can certainly make the tackle short of a third and 11 down marker. Yes. Now, Buki decided, I'm going to take out Clyde Edwards-Alaire in a completely unprofessional, dirty, just stupid play. It was was dangerous. It was bullshit. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was everything bad about football happened on that play, including... I'm the only guy over here who can make this play, but I'm not going to make it. I'm going to put a cheap shot on this guy for he, no reason whatsoever. He took himself out Absolutely of the, brainless. He took himself out of the fucking play, John. Yeah. Because at that moment, B- 
Buki is down on the ground, and Joe Burrow just has to walk right. for the first down, and he gets it. LSU eventually Third scores on this drive. It was Third and 10, and, and he runs for 11 and gets 15 more on the penalty. Buki shouldn't play next year. He shouldn't start. Like He shouldn't play. That's a little hyperbolic. He shouldn't start next year. That was bullshit. Well, I mean, people on Twitter are calling for a scholarship. So I don't know about that. Well, that's I think not going to happen. Silly. I mean, but this, he, this, he's here's here's part not to not to pile on Buki because he made a bad business decision in the moment. He made a really terrible decision and he felt bad for it. He was crying later after the game. He was crying in real tears and, you know, choking up and saying he let his team down and let everybody at OU down. He should have apologized to Clyde Edwards Hilaire first uh, and then said apologies to my teammates. But he's and again, I don't mean to pile on him, but he is part of the problem. You have recruited a five foot nine, one hundred and eighty pound nickelback to go in there and do things. And the best he can do is lay a cheap shot blindside hit on an injured an already injured running back. What? No, you need you need assassins out there. You need stone cold killers to to go cover somebody, you know, to play smart football. And and Buki showed last night he's physically overwhelmed. When you go, especially when you go up against the SEC champion, an undefeated team in a playoff setting, and he's um, maybe not the coolest customer. You know, as Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley this morning said, we lost our composure, we lost our poise. I can't figure out why. Yeah, and it's interesting because like the one saving grace for Buki, in my opinion, especially this season, is his football IQ is what saves him a lot of the time. Does he always make the play? No, because of his physical limitations. But he's so good at diagnosing plays. Yeah, like he he studies he, hard. He understands the game of football. Like I love mm-hmm. his football brain, and that's what makes that that's what makes that play that much more questionable. And it right. it gave me the conspiracy theory, John, that I think he made the business decision of I don't want that smoke. I don't want a one on one situation where some white quarterback jukes me out or I miss the tackle and then everyone laughs and piles on me. So I'm just going to pretend like, oh, I'm going to hit this guy and take myself out of the play and maybe somebody else behind me that I can't see will take care of this. <laughs> nah, I don't think the, the, think the thought process occurs that quickly. Um, I also think somebody, somebody tweeted at me last night. Actually, it may have been one of the writers in the press box said something about he may just want out of the game. In other words, 21-7, it's already going downhill, and here they come again. You talk about not wanting that smoke. He didn't want any more LSU and and, um, sacrificed himself. But, no, I I don't buy that either. I think he just made a really uh, brainless decision. Well, I'm starting to get pissed off again, John. Let's let's get off on that tangent because I want to stick on something that you said. Buki Radley Hiles is a part of the problem. You recruited a five foot nine defensive back. Yeah. Who is the no. you? Mm-hmm. Oh, oh my God. Everybody, I'm sorry if you know me. I apologize because I've probably ranted to you about this time and time again. I'm going to apologize to Dave, Regina, Rachel, Mike, everybody that listens to this podcast that knows me. Uh, Dawn, Matt, everybody, I'm sorry, but it, like it has to be said because OU. Two years from now, OU, John, in my opinion, is finally going to have a chance on paper to actually win a national championship. And the reason why is because Bob Stoops not firing his brother in 2014 set this program back 10 years. They do or not. You, you could say you could say Lincoln in 2016, uh, 20, 2016 or 20. You know, sorry, 2017. I give Lincoln or half a pass. Before the season, before the season or after the Rose Bowl. I give Lincoln half a pass. 
I give him half a pass. He is a first-time head coach. He was hand get, hand like he was handed over the keys to a program from the guy's brother. I can certainly understand yeah. how that is very very difficult, especially not only is he a first-time head coach, he's 5 years older than me. Right. <laughs> you know, he's young. <laughs> and he's still learning, so I'm going to give him a half pass for that. He uh-huh. hasn't done enough for he he hasn't been here long no, enough to right. set up a track record of like okay this really worries me now the playoff performances are kind of worrisome but we'll get into why it's I think it's a little bit over his head yeah you're right Lincoln uh, should have I'm saying Lincoln should have put on his big boy pants you don't take over as the CEO of a billion dollar football business like University of Oklahoma and say yeah whatever the previous guy did should be fine or I'm just going to do a favor for my old boss you can't do that. You, you, that's that's where you put your big boy pants on. Exactly. But you're you're probably right. The nepotism um, that Bob bringing back his brother after you know failed attempt in in Arizona and um, sticking with his brother through through thick and thick or thin and thin, whatever the whatever the proper saying would be. <laughs> um, Multiple times, multiple times his brother was, you know, we talked about, hey, this, the Big 12 is not for Mike Stoops. And, um, you know, it, it bore out. He was, he was never close to being the same uh, defensive football mind or recruiter or relatability to the players yep. that he was in the early 2000s. He just wasn't. And, and so for Bob to keep him around was a mistake. Yeah, and, and if you want to just blame Mike Stoops, here, here's here's a newsflash, everybody. If you're going to blame Mike Stoops, it's Bob's fault. It's Bob's fault because Bob, Mike was here because of Bob. So if you want to just blame Mike, you're going to have to blame Bob Stoops. And most people that want to blame Mike, OU fan-wise – they love them some Bob Stoops. He's a legend in their eyes, and I'm sorry, but him hiring his brother back in 2012 set this program back 10 years, and him especially not firing him in 2014 when he had to and didn't set this program back 10 years. It, it's not as simple, guys. You get a new defensive coordinator, and it's all on him now. And I told you, John, before this game, no matter how bad it could potentially be, Alex Grinch's first year is a complete and utter success. I don't care if LSU scored 100 points Alex Grinch was a great hire and he did a great job this season with the crap he was handed it's going to be a process and he's already well on his way to being to returning OU back to being a respectable defensive program that all being said he's got a lot of work to do and it has little to do with what he what he's capable of or what he's done Mm -hmm. and it's the same thing with Lincoln Riley the last what this is OU's fourth playoff game. They have not had a chance on paper. They didn't have a chance to win any of these games before the games even started because of the talent gap. Why is there a talent gap there? And it's because Bob and Mike just punted on recruiting. They saw it as too damn hard. I don't want to go into this guy's house, this five-star's house, because they're not going to commit to us, so what's the point? Let's go recruit this West Texas kid that's being recruited by Arizona and UTEP. They punted on recruiting, and that's why OU has a defense filled with five foot nine guys. I am five foot eleven. I am bigger and taller than some of OU's defensive players. That is stupid. You're not winning a national championship, let alone a playoff game, against guys that are six two, six three. And it's like, yes, there's always the factor that OU just brings it, and the other team doesn't. And there's a puncher's chance. I get all that. OU almost had that in their favor with the Baker Mayfield Rose Bowl because Baker Mayfield yeah. was such a transcendent player and leader. And that offense was humming. But as that game wore on, the Jimmys and the Joes won. Georgia had better Jimmys and Joes, as much as it pains me to say. But 
OU fans, I'm sorry. You can be excited about Spencer Rattler. I'm excited about him, even though I still have some worries moving forward. But OU doesn't have a chance next year and possibly the year after that until the three years from now they'll finally on paper have a chance because they would they would have had all that time with Lincoln Riley getting getting his recruits in. They would have all that time if Alex Grinch is still here to get his recruits in. Recruiting is such a long process. Mm-hmm. It's not just about what 18-year-olds did you sign today. No, it's what 16-year-old relationships are you starting right now. Right. And all those relationships that Bob and Mike tried to build like 10 years ago, they sucked. They were awful. They punted on recruiting, and it shows now. And it's not going to sh- – it's going to be – it's going to rear its ugly face time and time again for the next two years. They made that money on those camps, though, getting those kids into Norman to uh, to have their camps. Um Cheap shot by me, I know. <laughs> Imagine that. I, I Listen, save some time at the end of the podcast because we need to pile on Mark Stoops at some point and maybe even Ron Stoops Jr. All of them. Uh, you know, all of them. All the Stoops. Sure, why not? Um, we're kidding, of course. Drake Stoops the dropped a potential don't. first down and we were robbed of a Tanner Mordecai experience. <laughs> hey, we were angry. Caught a touchdown. He almost <laughs> caught a touchdown, though. Drake Stoops almost scored a touchdown. But, he, not, but his knee was down before he fumbled. I'm so. not going to share how I actually felt during that play. I'm not going to put that on this podcast. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Drake's a good kid. Um, gosh, where were we? Uh, Sorry. That Mike was Stoops my- recruiting the Bruce Kittle experiment, um, that whole thing, James Patton, uh, Jay Norvell, who the, are the, the two, nepotism. Who were the two worst players in OU secondary last night? Justin Broyles and Trey Brown. Who who primarily recruited those guys? Yeah, and they were local guys. I mean, you can't – that's the thing, Brady. You can't see the best local guy and not sign him and have him go to Notre Dame or Michigan or Ohio State or Nebraska or Texas and become an all-Big 12 or an all-conference type player. You cannot do that. You have to get those local guys. Oh, the, the best local safety is only five foot ten. Mm, okay, we'll go ahead and sign him. But the fact of the matter is, those are the best guys they got. So they, yeah, it's it's Mike Stoops' fault. Yeah, it's Bob Stoops' fault for letting recruiting slip like that. But uh, last night, those were the best players they had. The the five stars and the the promising young freshmen and all the incoming guys that they have. They're they're not ready. So they went to battle with the guys that they have now. Spinning it forward, you talk about getting players that you can uh, win with, win champion, compete for championships with. You're not going to do it next year. You're probably not going to do it the year after. They did get the number one and the number two junior college defensive tackles in the country. Yes. One's, one's got three years to play. One's got two years to play. So they're staggered a little bit. So, I mean, that's that's got to count for something. That's not going to win you the, uh, the, the Peach Bowl against LSU. But I would think that's a real step in the right direction because you realize it definitely you're, is. you're losing some talent in the middle. You're losing some seniors, uh, Neville Gallimore and, and his crew. You're losing some, some thumpers, so to speak. You've got to have guys who can come in and play against not just the Big 12 schedule, but the SEC schedule, uh, the winner of the SEC maybe, the winner of the Big 10 maybe. Uh, the winner of the ACC, which Clemson. of course we all know is going to be Clemson. Um, <laughs> you've got to have somebody that can go in the Cotton Bowl and and hold his own and win more battles than he loses against Texas. And it's it. I, listen, junior college guys come with all kinds of caveats, but you don't need freshmen coming in there and trying to do that job next year. You need JUCO guys 
And if they're number one and number two in the in the country, there's got to be a reason for that. So maybe those guys are thumpers. Maybe those guys can come in and, and fill that gap that, you know, at least immediately uh, while they start supplementing with uh, four and five star high school kids. Yeah, you hope at the very least that the transition isn't as negative going from Neville Gallimore, um, going going from that because the the defensive line was. I mean, were they OU's best unit on defense? I think by far they were. The linebackers were. I mean, mm. Kenneth Murray held his own on the linebackers. Deshaun White was. Yeah. Okay. I think that I think that evolved over the season. I think they were, the D line was the best unit early. I think the linebackers were the best unit late. Okay, that's fair. But yeah, you just hope that that transition is at least okay, at the very least. And then, you know, like you said, JUCOs come with caveats all over the place, and they can be nobodies, or they can be average, or they can be incredible. So, or they can not even, they can never even show up, never they even can, play. They can, they can come in academically ineligible, and their credits don't transfer, and they never got a chance out of high school, and they got the wrong tutoring, and oh my god, the guy's a complete idiot. Yeah, you know, every junior college guy has his own story. And there's always a reason why they went to junior college. Now, the thing that I'm confident with this coaching staff, you know, Lincoln Riley, Alex Grinch, Odom, Calvin Thibodeau, or Calvin Thibodeau, all those guys, I am I am confident that they give a damn about recruiting. Obviously, Lincoln Riley, we all know what he's capable of. We all mm-hmm. know the social media push and everything, and the crafting of the image and everything of Oklahoma, the Oklahoma program. I'm confident that Alex Grinch and Lincoln Riley don't care. That, yeah, when we walk into this high schooler's house, you know, in Louisiana, whatever, we know we probably don't have that good of a chance. But we're here, and this is all about relationship building. Maybe this player's high school football coach will like us enough that when the next five-star comes through this high school, they will give us a good word, and then we'll have that much of an in in this area. That's where we're, that's what you do with recruiting. And that was my, one of my biggest problems with Bob and Mike is they just punted on certain areas of the country. They just had this idea. We can't get players like that to the big 12. You would hear it in just so many other words from Mike Stoops saying it's hard to defend in this conference. Well, Alex Grinch was here for five months and he did a pretty damn good job of doing it. So it shouldn't be that hard. Um, OU is going to have their battles and it's not supposed to be easy, John, but at least with this, coaching staff if it remains intact for the next few years OU's going to have their jimmies and joes spread out across this roster which is what you want and not just all on one side of the football like it has been on offense at some point because the recruiting push is there yeah yeah he's and look no further honestly people who don't follow recruiting religiously um, have their doubts about what i'm getting ready to say but when you see the recruiting uh, rankings, the team rankings, and you see Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, Alabama uh, up there every year. Every year you see those guys in the top five, especially Alabama and Clemson. Uh, and then you look and you scroll down a little bit and you try to find Oklahoma and they come in at seven. I mean, if you have the seventh best recruiting class, yes, it's all subjective. Yes, it's all um, you know, recruit Nick nerds out there on a, on an August or, or a June with their clipboard and their, their binoculars and their study. And they're trying to study up on guys and, and get to meet guys at these camps and seven on seven camps and big man camps and whatnot. You know, it, yes, I get it. It, there, it, it, the system is inherently flawed, but when you see, uh, OU comes in at six, seven, eight, ten. Right now, I think this year's class is ranked number nine, or was last time I looked at it. That's not a national championship class. 
That's that's just not the numbers no. don't add up. The, the 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 eight teams in front of you are going to have better players on the whole than you have. So you know, number nine in the recruiting rankings is nothing to sneeze at, but it's not going to win you a national championship. No, unless unless you have a a run like the 2000 team where they had a bunch of blue collar uh, guys who refused to lose. They had had enough of losing and they came out and they changed the culture and they, they won every game. They didn't win like necessarily every game. Okay. Stick with me here. They didn't win like every game. They won each game. Does that make sense? Yeah. They won each game on its own merits and they ended up winning every game. They won it in different ways because they They won in different ways. They weren't like Clemson or, uh, right. LSU just winning every game in complete and utter dominance. Like I get exactly. what you're saying. Yeah. So, so recruiting rankings are huge. Uh, Lincoln is trying to, I'm sure, have the number one recruiting class or the number two recruiting class or the number five recruiting class. Uh, they're number nine right now, I think, uh, round round about there, nine or ten. Uh, and they're going to have to they're going to have to sign a few more guys to get into the top five. And and then when you look around the top five, you start ranking. Okay, um, how many? total average five stars does this program have how many total average five stars does that program have what about high four stars what about low four stars i mean oh you can be fourth or fifth or sixth but when you start stacking that up against how high the number one number two number three teams are there's still going to be a disparity there so yeah at, at some point oklahoma's going to have to play great they're going to have to coach great you know what i mean it's it's just going to have to come together to accomplish everybody's goals, which is, of course, winning the national championship. Yeah, and look, like the number nine class, number seven class, whatever it is right now, according to whatever recruiting service, like, yeah, in and of itself, that's not national title worthy. But when it's sandwiched between, you know, a few top five, top six classes like they've had previously, and then the 2020 Mm -hmm. class, from what I can tell and what I've been told by people that follow recruiting much more than I do, the 2020 class is already starting off really well. It's probably going to finish off well. If this class ends, you know, a little bit above five, you can get away with that because you're. You're talking about 20? Yes. Or 21. 21. Excuse me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, if that cl- if this is like the low end class in a four or five year cycle, that's still good because going back to Bob and Mike, their low end recruiting recruiting classes in a five year cycle were 17 or 17, 19. Right. Yeah, you know, just absolute punting on recruiting. And Didn't OU finish thirty and thirty in the thirties one time? Yeah, you know who's finishing in the thirties right now? Like teams like Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. If that's what you want to be, then by all TC, means, TCU. TC, yeah. If that's what you want to be, then by all means, be better than most. Better than most. <laughs> oh my god! Like I, I'm sorry, it's a broken record, but college football is such a long game. Like you can look at yeah. it in a vacuum and say, "What does this team have now?" And every success or failure is in, entirely on the players and the coaches that are currently there. But like I've said, Lincoln Riley's first three to five years are going to be over his head in terms of the, the failures. Like, yeah, sometimes individually he's going to have like some mistakes. Like, why didn't you let your Heisman Trophy winner like win you a game fourth down against Georgia? Like, yeah, there yep. are going to be some individual mistakes, no doubt. He's not immune to that. But like big, what sweeping, philosophical reasons as to why why isn't OU as good as LSU or Clemson or Ohio State why well it's it's a little bit over Lincoln's head and that's my overall point Mm -hmm. that's a good point um in terms of the talent disparity last night if anybody is sitting sitting there listening to us and and they've not gotten tired of us saying it already and they haven't turned their their iPhones off or whatever yet here is the final punctuation point on the talent disparity 
Um, Jamar Chase, who won the uh, Bolitnikoff Award as America's best college football receiver, he had two catches last night. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, the 1,300-yard, 16-touchdown, 50-catch running back, all-SEC, unanimous all-SEC running back, had two touches last night. Their two best players combined for four touches last night, and they still absolutely obliterated with guys like Terrace Marshall, you know, and Justin Jefferson, who leads the team in catches. I think he had 88. He ends up with a million catches last night and a million yards. I mean, that's that's where Oklahoma is in terms of trying to compete with the big boys. Like you said, Baker did it. Baker and that group did it in 2017 with Georgia, who I think was a really good – that Georgia team was really, really good. Uh, that that will probably be Georgia's one and only chance to win a national championship in, in a 20, 25-year span. I really believe that. That team was fantastic, and they couldn't pull it off. But they came back and they beat OU. They beat an OU team that was not as talented but yet had enough good players to, to have won that game. And then last year, you saw it was twenty-eight nothing early in the second quarter against Alabama, and you know they just had to hang on. They were they were like Jack hanging on to the door out in the North Atlantic Ocean. They were not going to uh, they were not going to survive that night. Here's another num- here's a n- number to piss everybody off. So Jake from Tuatunga Viola, Joe Burrow in three consecutive playoff games. Through 11 incompletions combined, and they threw more touchdowns combined. They threw 14 to 14 combined touchdowns. 11 incompletions, no interceptions between those three quarterbacks. It's not 11 incompletions. 11 incompletions. No interceptions. And how many touchdowns? I believe it was 14. <laughs> Jeez. Joe Burrow had half of that, of course, but. Yeah, uh, Lord. Yeah. Those guys are pretty good. That's Hey, I'll, I'll take you back. I know you hate this, but I'll take you back real quick to something Bob Stoops used to say. <laughs> One of the reasons we're losing all these national championship games is that the team we're losing to happens to be a national championship winning team. They're really good. And that's uh, something Lincoln reiterated last night. Uh, the reason that uh, that game got so out of hand, the reason that OU hasn't won a playoff game yet is because they're playing some badass teams. Yeah, that is no doubt true. And the second Lincoln Riley says, "Well, we're at least we're better than most," then he'll yes. you know, then I, then I'll punt him, just like I punted Bob. <laughs> if you just if that's what you want to be, then by all means, be it. Oklahoma football is not better than most. No, you're right. Like, that's that would be a mistake for Lincoln to say better than most. I'm crazy, John. I am not insane. <laughs> I I don't think OU is going to go undefeated every year and win every national championship. I'm I'm realistic, but at some point. The the Choklahoma tag has to go away. This is a yeah, program. That, last with, night, last night wasn't Choklahoma. Last night was uh, last night was something else. Choklahoma. There you go. Thank you. You're good at uh, you're good at words. Well, sometimes I'd hope so. I, I write occasionally, <laughs> and and speak for a living too. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why they just left. They the door was left open and I walked in. There you go. Um, so quick, uh, quick uh, first half recap: forty nine fourteen at halftime. Joe Burrow has uh, 400 yards passing and seven touchdowns, uh, and the game is uh, is over. I literally got up from my seat, Brady, walked to the back of the press box, and uh, poured myself a soda because I needed a little kick to uh, get through the night. And uh, they had some soft serve ice cream. I don't remember what the brand name was, but it was. Uh, they call it. They had a little sign on it: "The freshest ice cream in the world," or "The world's freshest ice cream." 
So I sat in the back watching about three series on TV while I had some ice cream because I just, I felt bad. I really felt bad being there. Yeah. Kind of I, like I did in, in 2004 in, in Miami. Yeah. Uh, I felt, felt bad being there, spending the Tyler media money. Um, you know, the hotel and the flight and all this stuff, all the meals and whatnot that we're, that we're spending money on. And that's what we're there to cover. I did. I felt bad. I was like, dude, I'm never, they're never going to bring me out to another football game again. If OU keeps playing like this. So I went in the back and I had some ice cream. Cause that was probably the last ice cream I'm ever going to have on a bowl trip. Yeah. Instead of drinking, I, <laughs> I ate my feelings over at Rachel and Dave's house. I, Very uh, good. I had a cookie cake because I can't say no to cookie cake. I can say no to a lot of things, but not cookie cake. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, it is what it is. A 63-28 game is not fun. <laughs> and, yeah, I, I mean. I can be honest with you, I didn't watch, but uh, I think the only second half plays that I watched, I was down there on the field uh, the last five minutes of the game. I mean, did did you notice anything on the sideline? Did you notice anything with with this team? Like, because you you talked about the give up factor during the mm-hmm. USC game, and you could see that on TV. That team just gave up. I, I mean, that's a theme with Lincoln Riley teams. In the <laughs> what has he lost six games now? He's yeah. been twelve and two every year, and he's so this is the sixth game that Lincoln Riley's team has lost. I've yet to see them truly give up. No, I, I don't think there was any uh, any real like team wide. I don't think there was any quit. I think there were. I think you could see a couple of guys, um, maybe disconnect or become disinterested in their particular. You know, uh, thinking like the defensive backs. <laughs> yeah, uh, di- disengaged is the word I'm looking for. I think you saw some defensive backs become disengaged, and you know you saw a little bit less effort out of the defensive line. And I think the linebackers were probably not chasing quite with the uh, enthusiasm tired. that they did in the first half. They were tired, yeah, but I think also they were just like, God, can we get this over with? I mean, they had the Dan Cody factor working where oh, yeah. it was, uh, you know, they, somebody was asking the opposing team, can you guys call off the dogs? Oh, God, that is so embarrassing. And such a, such a um, heartbreaking, tragic story out of LSU last night. God, that, that, uh, is, that is awful. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I walked into the stadium and I ran into Rachel Barbeau. Um, I don't know if you know Rachel. She's a media personality. Uh, she's done some serious XM, that kind of thing. Uh, she's in. The, she's an SEC type girl. She was like, you know, down in down on her and down in the dumps when I saw her. I'd just gone through security and I said, "Hi, Rachel. How are you?" And she said, "Oh, not too good." I was like, "Uh oh, what's up?" And she goes, "My one of my friends was on the plane that crashed." And I'm like, "What? What? 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 What now?" plane and so i just started looking because i was you know working on some stuff and had my head buried then i'm on the bus and then i'm going through security trying to get into the stadium i didn't know anything about it until about uh two o'clock yeah about it was about two o'clock one thirty two o'clock so uh yeah for steve insminger the the offensive coordinator to lose his daughter-in-law his son's wife in a plane crash uh the day of the game and then have to coach and then have to coach, and then his players, some of his players know, and some of them don't. Uh, Joe Burrow apparently didn't know until uh, Tim Tebow they told, told him. Tim Tebow, Dari Noka told him, I think, um, on, the, on the SEC Network set. So, yeah, that was, that was too bad. Yeah, that's something that needs to be screened pre-shoot. Uh, yeah, I, I remember one time, and this is way off topic, but I remember one time I was at, a, I was at an event and I was waiting to interview somebody 
and it was in that type of setting, group setting, and I was I was on the fringe. And some one of the one of the pros, one of the on camera talent, leaned over to me and said, "Hey, has so and so been told about the the death in the family or something like that?" And I was like, "I don't know, but I sure wouldn't bring it up to them if they haven't." And they started scrambling around. The, the interview was getting ready to take place. And apparently that due diligence didn't happen last night on the set of the SEC Network. And, and the question was asked without knowing if Joe Burrow had even heard the news. Yeah, well, it just means more on the SEC Network. And, you know, in addition to her death, uh, Car- Carly McCord, who uh, covers the New Orleans Saints and the New Orleans Pelicans, she's like mm-hmm. their sideline reporter uh, for both franchises she was also on that plane and passed away as well and i'm not gonna pretend like i know her that well but um well, that's that's uh Ensminger's daughter-in-law yeah yeah um, yeah um i don't know what i was thinking i was this is why you don't read something in podcasts at the same time but uh, the thunder played the pelicans t- uh twice this year in oklahoma city she was there at both games and uh, wow. just being in scrums, you know, you kind of, you know, you know, John, sometimes you make friends because you were like, you're right up against somebody and, and stuff. But she was the few, th- the few times that her and I got to talk, she was really sweet. And, you know, I, again, I, I'm not gonna pretend like I know her that well, but just seeing, it's just heart-wrenching. seeing the dude sit up there in the coach's box, you know, I, I just, I couldn't imagine like, taking a your job seriously and b enjoying that your team is having so much success out there because everybody's excited around you i i just hats off to him you're going through that that's the hard thing is you're going through that and you don't want to you want to leave and go back to baton rouge or wherever his wherever his son was somewhere in mississippi i think uh he works in the industrial uh sector in uh, somewhere on the mississippi in a small town mississippi river and you want to go be with him, but the harsh reality is, and this is a harsh reality of it, is that he's got um, an entire football team who are depending on him. Yeah. I mean, it's not it's not about him. It's about the team and the program and all those players. And, you know, I'm sure, I'm, I'm 100% sure that they would have all voted and said 100%, no, coach, go be with your family. But he's taken his responsibility to them so uh so seriously and so professionally that he wasn't about to do it and his words you know i don't know if you read the story uh the baton rouge advocate did a story uh interviewed the the widower steve ensminger jr and said uh you know it was it's just remarkable uh what what uh what the guy went through that that day that night he couldn't get off work you know couldn't call in for that one he was supposed to, it was a serious, like, like I said, he works in the energy sector or the in, industrial sector. He couldn't get off work. God. Otherwise, he probably would have been on the plane with her. So, and, and then, you know, Steve Ensminger and the, and the LSU Tigers are dealing with something else, uh, you know, in addition to uh, Carly. So just, I, I can't imagine going into that kind of game that kind of pressure that's already on you and then and then that happens you you comport yourself with composure and professionalism and dignity and uh you know you you le- reach out to your son and and you're talking to him in the hospital because he's he's uh he's had a an attack of uh high blood pressure that basically sent him to the emergency room and your words to him are we're going to get through this you're strong i love you we're going to get through this i mean I, dude, I'm a father of two, you know, twenty-something kids, 
And uh, I just, I can't put that, I can't wrap my head around that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if OE's going to get their brains beat in, you know, just on a human level, <laughs> and, I, and I know you fans don't want to ever hear about OU getting their brains beat in, but they're like towards the end of the game when they kept showing shot, shots of him in the coach's box, I, I did on a human level go like, I'm proud that his team was able to play extremely well, at least. Yeah. It, it's just a f- meaningless football game. Uh, it's not that important in the grand scheme of things, but I was at least glad to see you know that parting shot of him walking out of the coach's box. That was kind of a nice mm-hmm. thing. But that's right. Um, I guess a little bit back onto the actual game or just OU, John. Uh, I don't know where OU goes from here. Um, even though I still believe this, and you might call me crazy, and again, I know I'm crazy, but I would rather OU get destroyed in a playoff game. 10 times out of 10, then them win a meaningless Sugar Bowl game against Georgia. The only time I'd want OU to play, like if they're a fringe playoff team or a New Year's Six Bowl team, is if that New Year's Six Bowl is against Alabama because they just had a down like 11-1, 11-2 year or whatever. Beating Alabama means something because that's a recruiting battle. That's something that you can use in recruiting moving forward. Beating anybody else, I don't give a damn about. Georgia, I mean, yeah, you're going to recruit other players against them, but Georgia... Like you said, that that Rose Bowl team, that was their best chance for the next 10, 15 years. Um, Again, like I don't want OU to just win meaningless bowl games and go into the offseason. I've seen them win Fiesta Bowls and Sugar Bowls. They need to be in the stage that they were in last night. They were in the right spot, um, and people are going to get their jokes in. But at the end of the day, guys that are going to Texas, guys that are going to – Arkansas guys that are going to I mean any any other school in the Big 12 or around Oklahoma they have not had as much success nor have they sniffed the amount of success that OU's had in the last five years OU should be proud of where they are and where they're going because the program is on the right track but I mean I don't know I mean does this loss how bad it was do you think it has such a negative effect on Lincoln Riley and OU moving forward because of the track record um, it, it, I think it does. I think it has a bad effect. I think it has a lingering effect because, you know, Lincoln lost uh, a couple of playoff games, right? A couple of uh, – one wasn't very close and one was very, very close, double overtime. Uh, does that remind you of anybody else that's coached at OU recently? Yeah. Yeah. And then the big one happens, 2004. There's just so many similarities USC, to, like Kansas, to that USC game and this LSU game. 2003, Kansas State shell shocked Bob Stoops. I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He was no longer he, like he no longer strutted the sidelines with arrogant confidence. Yeah. He, he, just, he lost his mystique in the in the Kansas State game, and then uh, uh, LSU and Nick Saban took his spirit, took his soul away. That's yeah. that's kind of how I see it. Is the the two, 99, 2000, 2001, 2002 Bob Stoops. He got gutted by uh, by Bill Snyder back to back with Lincoln Riley. Uh, Lincoln Riley, uh, God, Nick Saban. There you um, go. You never know what's going to come out of your uh, come out of your mouth when your mind's not uh, wired up correctly. <laughs> um, but I was just thinking, purple is a uh, is the color of uh, color of the devil for uh, for Oklahoma fans. K State that thirty five seven game, LSU 21-14, LSU last night, Clemson a couple of times. Yeah, no? I, I mean you're not wrong. <laughs> Don't play anybody with put with purple. Oh, 
Goodness. K-State this year? Uh, no. TCU in 2005? Well, hell, they... It's like, the, it's like all, the, all the big losses, all the losses that we're going to remember over the years are somebody's wearing purple. Well, like, look, I don't know if it's going to necessarily have a negative effect on OU because, like, what guys are they, are they missing out? Are they truly missing out on that, that was affected by this game? I, I, I don't know if there's even a number... Like, does that make sense? Like, there's no, not a four mean? or five star out there, like defensive lineman that was going. Oh, you're you're talking about? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think there are those guys. Those those. That's not how recruits work anymore. Yeah, but, I mean, like right before kickoff, somebody put OU in their top five on Twitter. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who the guy's name was, but um, like recruits are as short term as as they might appear. They're not very short term. They don't go. Oh, this team won. Like the OU Texas battles. Um, in recruiting, yes, beating Texas helps, but at the end of the day, if that player wants to go to Texas, by God, he's going to go to Texas. <laughs> no, that's right. That's how recruits. Uh, that's how recruits work these days. Um, they, they, it's been that way. Uh, I can remember Les Miles and I talking about that in two thousand two, two thousand three, when I covered Oklahoma State. Um, he he would, uh, you know, I would say we they they played a game in Houston. And all the recruits that were allowed to come to the game, they came to the game. And then they played the next year, they played a bowl game in Dallas. And all the recruits, you know, big, some big timers, some five-star, four-star type guys showed up. And I asked him, I said, so you think, uh, you know, this win is going to help you guys land some of those guys that showed up? He goes, oh, no, they don't. They, recruits aren't like that anymore. Recruits don't say, oh, this team won. So I'm gonna, remember the Adrian Peterson thing when OU, uh, OU beat Texas. He had already made up his mind. Uh, OU beat Texas A&M really bad. He had already made up his mind to go to OU. You know, if if Texas A&M or Texas had won those games when he was a senior, uh, he was not he was not going to switch his commitment, or he was not going to uh, to switch his. Um, he, he ended up committing to and signing with Oklahoma, but he was not going to flip uh, and go to uh, to Texas A&M because that's just I don't know. It's just not you don't see guys anymore waiting for one team to win a game to to make their decision yeah. they're just, they're smarter than that there's there, there's more to be invested it's like they're selling they're selling now it's not a four-year decision it's a 40-year decision john there there was a little topic that i wanted to get into with you and i'll i, I guess i'll just use this since you it loosely connected because it of course concerns recruiting uh, but just more. I'm not good at recruiting. Well, I'm not going to bring up any p- specific names. This is more philosophical, and, and basically, okay. like, what's your opinion of Bullware? Oh, he's running back coach. Um, I don't want you to think about he, his track. He's, he seems to. He's he's also one of the special teams coaches, and he seems to be a decent recruiter. I don't know if he's an elite recruiter, but he seems to be a decent recruiter. And, and that's that's a problem that I that I have with this Oklahoma offense because Rodney Anderson, I I believe was he a Kale Gundy recruit? Had Kale already moved over? I can't remember. I feel like that that was a Kale Gundy recruit. Uh, what year would that have been? Um, twenty fourteen, I believe, was his senior year in high school. So yeah, that's Kale Gundy yeah, running backs coach. Yeah. Uh huh. Right. So Ro- Rodney Anderson is the last elite talent at running back, right? Because we, we kind of talked about this already. 
Um, Lee Benson, who uh, News 9 in Oklahoma City and does the West of Everest podcast, texted me the day after we did our podcast, John, because I guess I had mentioned Kennedy Brooks is an elite. And Lee disagreed with me, and we kind of went back and forth, but I love Lee, so uh, I respect his opinion. But I still believe, like, Kennedy Brooks, good running back. He's like an all-conference, all-American, at best, level talent. He is not a game-breaker. Trey Sermon is kind of in that same boat. They're, they're different styles of runners, yes, but they're mm-hmm. essentially their ceilings as players is around the same spot. Yeah, but, I, I equate them to, to kind of a Chris Brown. I mean, I'd, I'd say uh, Kennedy Brooks is better talent, more talented than Chris Brown, got vision and hips and a nice long stride. Yeah. But in terms of Trey Sermon uh, and, and their productivity and comparing them with other elite players, it's like DeMarco Murray was a 1,000-yard rusher and Chris Brown was a 1,000-yard rusher. Okay, really? Come on, who was the better running back? Exactly. Yeah, like Chris Brown, Alan Patrick type running backs. Like the yes. very good running backs and can get you a thousand yards and can give mm-hmm. you big gains, but serviceable guys. Yeah, but they're not the elite of the elite. And it's just a position, John, that I feel like is being I don't know. Like like you you remove Kale Gundy from that spot and it's shown in recruiting. Now Jason McQuellen, everybody's talking about him flipping from OU to Alabama on yeah. you know, the last second after being committed to OU for two years. N- yeah. That's certainly a big loss, but um, OU just not necessarily because you see it in Lincoln Riley's play calling where he'll go games of forgetting that he has even a good player like Kennedy Brooks to hand the ball off to. Right. Um, and I, it, it just worries me moving forward that the running back position is just going to go away because if you if you watched Clyde Edwards-Alaire in the Twice, two times he touched the ball, extremely special. If you if OU fans stayed up to watch the Ohio State Clemson game, the running oh backs in those games incredibly those special. And those OU guys doesn't have were that. Unbelievable. OU no, doesn't have true. that. That's one hundred percent true. Be, and you have no excuse. Like you can have an excuse if you want to be soft and say, "Oh, we can't get defensive tackles to come to this conference." You should have no problem getting running backs to come to OU. That's a good point. You make a great point because uh, elite running backs can't. You see what Travis Etienne did last night. My God, that guy can run. Incredible. Um, and then and then J.K. Dobbins, I thought finished the season, the regular season, better than anybody in the country. So, uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Last night was a was an absolute. Heavy. It, it reminded me of watching those two running backs go out. It reminded me of like a '70s heavyweight fight between Frazier and Ali, or Frazier and uh, Foreman and Foreman and Ali. You know, God, that was so good watching those dudes just slug it out. So, you know, last night, and, and it's interesting. I, I kind of, maybe it's stuck somewhere in the back recesses of my subconscious. I'd said last night's uh, OU LSU game was like a Mike Tyson mid '80s fight. That's interesting that I used a heavyweight reference on Just both of those. Done in five seconds. <laughs> yeah, it's like okay, I'm coming out here, and boom, you're down. Like Goldberg and, in the in, during WCW when he was undefeated, and he just win matches like in five seconds <laughs> with three moves. I don't know anything about that. Oh, I was a little WCW <laughs> mark back when I was a kid, but um, yeah, yeah, I mean so, that's, so those are good to comparisons. Finish your point on the running backs. To finish your point on the running backs, um, I don't I don't know what the answer is. Uh, Marcus Major was 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 he not the best player in Oklahoma? Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean Jace McClellan, you you had him locked up for two and a half years. It, it's you know, an, it's I mean I don't know what the answer is. So so what your what your the premise of your question is sounds like uh, is Jay Bullware a closer when it comes to signing elite running backs? Uh, you know, 
you can make the case, I guess, from his track record that he he needs to do better. Yeah, to me, he's just I'm because I'm not going to count Ruffin McNeil because I honestly don't know what he does other than put, puts on a polo and then sits in the box. I don't know how important he is to the recruiting grand scheme of things like game day coaching. I, I don't know. But in terms of guys that have to recruit day to day, like Jay Bulware is the clear, like, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> you know, bring him into the office and like, so what exactly would you say that you do here? Yeah, that's good. And, you know, Seth, Seth McGowan's the running back that they got out of uh, Mesquite, Texas to sign. But he, from what I've heard, he's a lifelong OU fan. So I don't know how hard of a, hard of a sell that was, like from a recruiting standpoint. Maybe Seth McGowan might be a very fine running back in his own right, but I don't know. It's just something that I think is clearly missing out of this OU offense, and it's something that OU can can easily get to come here. Because, like I said, this isn't like getting five star defensive tackles to come here. Um, they don't want to. They don't want to come to this conference. Running backs should want to come here. I believe J.K. Dobbins is from Texas, isn't he? Yes. What, why is he not in Norman? Why is he not you know in Texas? I mean? <laughs> you know? Why is he not in Texas? Right, exactly. Um, and listen, Ohio State's got it going on. They, they, you know, you can't question their uh, viability for any five-star talent. But that's just uh, that's that's supports what you're saying. How, how does Oklahoma not land those guys? Yeah, and you know, like going into Kennedy Brooks, like again, I th- how much how much of that though is not necessarily Jay Bull where it's uh, the uh, maybe some negative recruiting on the part of some coaches saying, listen, if you go there, you're not going to be uh, an elite running back. I mean, that's, that's obviously a falsehood. They've had what 5,000 yard runners under Lincoln. You're going to split carries. Um, is that you're going to split carries. He's going to throw the ball 70 times, you know, maybe kids, maybe some of the elite kids are not necessarily all that educated on what this offense really looks like when it, when it's humming at its best. Yeah. Something, something for them to think about for sure. Which is but false. I don't, I don't think that's off the table. I know that's false. Samaj P. Ryan and Joe Mixon made it work pretty damn good. Yeah. Like Lincoln Riley will have his little brain fart lapses where he forgets about the running game, but it's a, it rarely ever costs OU a you football know what? game. You know what? Jalen Hurts, let him forget about those running backs because Jalen Hurts wanted to carry the football. Yeah, Ky- Kyler Murray made him forget about those running backs because Kyler Murray has is like a, a you know, he's, I don't know, some kind of superhero or, or Greek god out there running around, right? Yeah. You know, you you literally can't catch him, can't tackle him, can't corral him, all that stuff. Baker Mayfield's like. No, Lincoln, I don't like that play. Let's rent, let's turn and hand it to Samaje. Let's make sure Joe gets the ball more. You know what I mean? Yeah. Baker had that kind of personality maybe where he could he could tell his coach, this is what we're running. Uh, and Baker certainly wasn't going to run the football himself like Hertz is doing. Yeah. And- um, so maybe, maybe some of that's at play too in that, in that those running backs are not getting the football. They're getting forgotten because of the quarterback situation. And I don't know if, if you were the one that talked to him, John, in the locker room after the game last night, but – I I saw it on Twitter. I think it was from Sooner Scoop. So uh, shout out to our very own Eddie Rodosovich and the rest of the Sooner Scoop guys. They do a fantastic job. I mean, I'm an OU fan, so I, I love listening to their podcast as well, just like I'm sure you, the listener, listens to them as well. But um, were you shocked at what Kennedy Brooks said? I missed it. So they, somebody asked him, and again, I don't know if it was Sooner Scoop. I don't want to not credit somebody, so apologies, but – um, somebody asked him, like, do you plan on coming back? And Kennedy was just like, well, I just want to spend time with my 
family. I want to spend time with my team and basically decide. And I guess a part of me just assumed he would come back because, like I said, he's he's good, but he's not like first round, second round good. And then I remember, oh, yeah, he's a running back, and they have only so much time on this earth, according to the NFL, John. So um, what worries me um, – from going back to the broader running back room standpoint, you're not going to have Trey Sermon next year right. if he does decide to return. Um, yeah. If Kennedy, if Kennedy, yeah. Kennedy Brooks leaves, you're going to be left with TJ Pledger, Marcus Major, uh, Ramondre Stevenson for probably the second half of the season, second which is, half the season, which is the softest part of OU's schedule. Their, their schedule next year is incredibly front-loaded. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how great that is for a first-year starting quarterback in Spencer Rattler. Well, now the offensive line is going to be better because yeah, the O line's going to be better. The the tight ends and stuff are going to be better. Fullbacks, X back, H backs, whatnot. But um, here's the thing. I mean, I yes, there are elite running backs, but you literally can find an Alan Patrick, like you said, just about anywhere. Yeah, you can find a Trey Sermon, just about anywhere. Um, so I, I don't think that's going to be it, what Lincoln actually got that question today. What, what about your running back room? looks pretty thin. You're going to, you're going to lose two guys probably. And, uh, or, or at least one's coming off a serious injury and the, and the third one is going to be suspended for half the season. So what about your running back room? And Lincoln said, and again, I'm not sure I totally believe it. He said he likes the depth there. He said that's one of the deepest positions they're going to have. I'm like, what? It's the naked Marcus gun Major. gift. It's the naked yeah. gun gift. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. TJ Pledger, Marcus Major, the incoming freshman whose name escapes me right now. Big, big, strong kid from from is he from Texas? I think the running back. Yeah, Seth McGowan. Seth McGowan. Yes, thank you. Um, and and then I don't think they're going to necessarily bring in somebody to compete at the position, but I do think that they're probably going to bring in another body. Yeah. So I don't know. And and like I said, in this offense, you should be able to find a guy that can rush for eight or nine hundred yards without much effort. Yeah. And again, like I guess we're going to go back to this. I'm, I'm at least going to have this whole philosophical question in my head this entire offseason. It was probably for the best for Spencer Rattler that Jalen Hurts come here and be a stopgap quarterback to help with his men- mentorship. Uh, to help you had to with, grow up a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but at the same time, because, of course, that comes with all the team success, the Big 12 championship, fifth in a row, going to the playoff, which I think is important, even though OU was shellacked. Okay. But I wonder if it would have helped if Jalen doesn't come, Spencer Rattler eventually gets the starting job, and OU, let's say, they go 9-3 and three at best, so that means no playoff, no Big 12 championship. But they get a year of Spencer Rattler out there to then help sell to skill position recruits. Look at this guy. You want him handing the ball off to you or throwing it to you out of the backfield? Come on in. You know, now it's just going to be a whole bunch of absolute selling. <laughs> And and uh, telling fibs to recruits. Uh, no, we have a uh, we have a quarterback uh, competition going on between Tanner Mordecai and Spencer Rattler. <laughs> to, that's what you're going to tell recruits? No, he's not, see, he, There's no way he's telling his five star wide receiver recruits that. Did you see the Did you see the broadcast of Tanner Mordecai when the camera panned over to him on the sideline when Spencer no, was no. out there? No, I haven't watched the broadcast yet. Yeah, um, you can find it on Twitter, John. It's. Uh, 
it wasn't a good look. <laughs> but it's I okay. It was it kind of a I thought I was the backup kind of look? Yeah, just like, okay. But, you know, he was fully prepared to go out there on that first down if Drake Stoops catches that ball or TJ Pleasure <laughs> catches that ball. You know, he he looked fully prepared. No, it's can we, um, can we talk about the uh, number of players that are not coming back next year? Oh yes. Okay, start at the top. Jalen Hurts. That's one. Kennedy Brooks probably right. Two. Yeah. Trey, Trey Sermon probably three. Ceedee Lamb. That's four. R.J. Proctor, your left tackle. That's five. Um, yeah. Creed Humphrey. I'm not going to include. Yeah, Creed Humphrey. Forgot him, of course. That's six. That's just the offense. I'm not going to include Lee Morris, who's a senior, and Nick Basquin. Uh, Nick Basquin. Yeah. Then you go to the defense, and you're on Neville Gallimore. That's seven. You go to Kenneth Murray. That's eight. Parnell Motley. That's nine. Your three, literally, your three best defensive players, and five of your six best offensive players. Are gone. You're also not going to have year. Ronnie Perkins until after Texas. That's correct. That's correct. So yeah, it's it's. Um, listen, next year with, with a freshman quarterback, redshirt freshman quarterback, five star John, Johnny Five Star. Remember him? <laughs> I'm just. You guys brace yourself. I know you've been living large on uh, on five consecutive Big Twelve titles and four out of five playoff appearances and all this big bowl stuff you guys brace yourself for next year because uh, it could it could look like the transition from 2004 to 2005 all over again yeah because they're going to be heavily reliant on young guys just like that 05 team was yeah I mean, and remember remember everywhere. what bob stoops learned that that year remember his big he he was answering a question of mine at the uh, marriott at the marriott in uh, downtown kansas city at big 12 media days i think we had some entitlement going on on the 2005 team. It was the 2006 media days. And he was saying, I didn't foresee this. I didn't see this coming. Guys just thought because they were next on the depth chart that they were next in line to start. And they didn't put in the time. They didn't put in the effort. They didn't take it seriously. And we, we suffered some entitlement issues. And that's the year. Remember that they, that Stoops took the name off the back of the jerseys. Oh, after the, after the Oh five season, which was, you know, an abject failure early on. I think they started two and three. Uh, Bomar had like five fumbles at UCLA and they f- lost 41 to 12 against Texas. Well, th- that team had some real growing pains. And that's what I'm saying. I think I see 2020 shaping up to be uh, kind of a growing pain season. A- another similarity that team had those three freshman receivers that eventually got on the same page with Bomar, Manny Johnson, uh, Malcolm Kelly and Joaquin Iglesias. Yep. This team has three five-star receivers coming in. You know they're they're here now, and they'll be better next year. They'll help Spencer Rattler, but there's just a, there's just that whole transition period of everybody's new, everybody's young, everybody's unproven, everybody's untested. Yeah, and I don't know how to correlate this with like numbers or anything has like recently historically, John. But there is something to be said about the talent level of skill position players now than what where they were. 12, 15 years ago. Like Jaden Hazel, Jaden Hazelwood, uh, Theo Weiss, like that level of talent, they, they made impact plays on a team where they really had no business making impact plays on because it was so, like you like you listed off, senior, 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 yeah. all over the place. And yet they still yeah. were able to make consi- like good plays for this team and winning plays. Yeah, you're right. I, uh, they, are, they are more advanced, generally speaking. I think athletes in, in general are. Yeah. Uh, but I'm telling you, man, 
freshman year, Malcolm, true freshman, Malcolm Kelly was legit. Malcolm Kelly was 6'3", 6'4", 215, 220, uh, ran about a 4'5", 4'6", and had hands the size of, uh, you know, the, the Turner Turnpike. Yeah. That dude, he was so good. Um, didn't work out in the NFL, injury problems and whatnot, but, you know, he was he was amazing. And he was a true freshman. And he he came out. I won't say he came out of nowhere. He came out of Longview, Texas. I think it was Longview. Yeah, it was Longview. And and it 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 became a deal where, oh my God, this kid's a freshman, and they have a redshirt freshman quarterback, and they have these other freshman receivers, and they have a an offensive line that's that's uh, a couple Young. of redshirt freshmen and a couple of sophomores. That team in two thousand six and two thousand seven and two thousand eight. Should have been Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford should have never went to OU, is what I'm saying. Not not any fault of his, of course. I'm just saying, Bomar should have been a superstar stud, three year NFL guy. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean that's uh, my worry and, with Spencer and, Rattler. And Bradford, who's a legacy guy, probably should have said, "God, I'm never going to play there." Not till not till Bomar leaves. But no, Bomar was a knucklehead and uh, screwed everything up. I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Turned you, it over to Paul Thompson. Yeah, you can look at it super optimistic moving forward for OU and just think, okay, maybe a year in Lincoln Rally system with Spencer Rattler and all these receivers, like maybe they'll be on a good, like the same page and maybe they'll be sure. able to hit the ground running. And and then maybe teams like their schedule is front loaded, but uh, Baylor's going to drop off pretty heavily in my opinion. Like they still have some good guys coming back. If James Lynch comes back, I mean, that, I don't know if he's declared yet or not. Uh, There's no way. Yeah, He's not like, coming back. Yeah, but if he does, then Baylor's like they still have the best defensive player in the conference. But their team is senior senior laden. Mm-hmm. Tennessee is OU gets that game at home. Uh, that shouldn't really concern OU fans because Tennessee's awful. Army, you get two weeks to prepare for that. You've got to hope that OU can at least score outscore Army the four times OU's going to touch the ball, score score the ball every time. And hopefully with the extra week to prepare and no Mike Stoops back there saying, Look, we're, we actually prepared for the pass against Army. <laughs> um, you better hope that there's just a better defensive plan. So, And then Texas, like Spencer Rattler versus Sam Ellinger. I mean, going back to your numbers before this past <laughs> OU-Texas game. You're uh, so savage. <laughs> first, first year quarterback. I mean, OU's going to have their challenges, but despite all that, they should still be – like my whole point is with all this new – all this new experience coming on this roster now the next year, they should still be more talented than their opponents in the first five or six weeks of the year. Um, yeah, maybe. Maybe. So that, that's I mean, the t- optimistic t- Tennessee, view. Tennessee sure bounced back this year. Uh, Tennessee coming to Norman, facing a redshirt freshman quarterback, making his second career start. Man, I'm not, I'm not writing that one off. You know what I mean? Tennessee, they, went, they finished 6-6. Six and six. Uh, did they play in their bowl game yet? I don't believe so. See, that's what happens when you actually go cover a bowl is you just, it's like you're in a submarine. Yeah. When you're, when you're covering bowl games, you, you get up, you, you get on the airplane and you don't know what has happened in life, generally speaking, until you get back home from a different airplane. It's so I don't know if Tennessee's played the bowl game or not. Again, that's just the uber optimistic way to look at the next season. Like I, like I try to look at it pragmatically as much as possible, and like I kind of in line more with you, and just like this might be a nine and three, eight and four type year, but there, but still, you could see the foundation being set. So it's not a complete and utter disaster. You've got to yeah. be 
realistic at some point, John, and just go at some point. Oh, he's not going to win the Big Twelve. It's it's so hard in football. It's not <laughs> the streak is going to end at some point. Is it's that what not. You're saying? Yeah, it's not Kansas. Ba- it's not like basketball, college basketball, where you can just reload five star <laughs> number one draft pick, five star number one draft pick easily, and then win your conference. It's not that easy, but. Um, I mean, OU still has their hands full moving forward, but there's some optimism, I, I guess. I think Jalen Hurts might have thought it was that easy when he chose to go to OU. I mean, the defense did carry him, so it, I guess for him it was kind of easy because despite he, his best he efforts. Thought he, was, he thought he could win the Heisman here. He thought Lincoln was going to win in the Heisman. He finished oh. second, John, and using your logic, he's the second best player in the country. That's right, yep. Second most outstanding. Um, no, uh, I'm not I'm not laying that at Jalen's feet necessarily. Um <laughs> I, I wanted to. Go ahead. I, I was. I'm sorry. I, I wanted to get into some player legacy stuff here, um, for a little bit, if you didn't mind. Um, I couldn't help but feel bad for Kenneth Murray watching this game. Kenneth Murray is a guy who comes to OU, and not only plays out of position because Jacob Phillips got paid more to go to LSU, um, and because Tim Kish <laughs> is not a good coach, is also not a very good recruiter or evaluator of talent, and then his boss Mike Stoops. Sucks at his job, which, you know, his boss, Bob, sucked at his job towards the end of his career, you know, so on, so on, blah, 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 blah. Kenneth Murray comes here, has to play as an 18-year-old freshman out of position because there's nobody back there at middle linebacker to play. And so it takes him all that time to figure out how to play middle linebacker with all the lumps that he had to take. And the fresh, his freshman year went the way that it did. Everybody remembers the Rose Bowl and how bad he looked out of position going through the mm-hmm. wrong hole here and there. Yep. His following season, I am one of the people that um, am a little upset and triggered that he broke Brian Bosworth's tackle record in the Army game because please watch the Bosworth-Miami game where he set the record and then the Army <laughs> game, and please tell me which one was better because yeah. it ain't that hard. And then everybody remembers the Texas game that OU lost where he's basically running through the wrong hole, not tackling, not finishing tackles, not shedding blocks. Kenneth Murray... Busted Didn't his, run over at the goal line. Yeah, yeah. Bust, Kenneth Murray busted his ass and got his ass busted for two years, and most of it really wasn't his fault. His coaching failed him. The recruiting around him failed him and put him in that position in the first place. And then Alex Grinch comes here, and Kenneth Murray finally gets to show how truly good he is. And Kenneth Murray, like something that I care about as a fan, John, is he has a very high give-a-shit meter. He gave a shit that... He and the rest of the defense looked bad and held this team back from national title aspirations over the last two years. He gave a shit. And listening to him in the postgame last night, he truly gave a shit. And I can't help but feel bad for him. And, like, I believed in him his entire time here, except for, like, around the Army game where I was just pissed off at the defense overall. But, like, again, Kenneth Murray is a good football player, and... He just joins a legacy of OU players, John, that he just did not deserve to go out like that. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I, I feel for him. Uh, I have compassion for his um, efforts, his desire. He should I mean, have been a, a Butkus finalist, and I feel like he wasn't because of stigma. Yeah, yeah, that's right, because Big 12 defenses suck, and OU can't play defense, and Mike Stoops, all that stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, he's not on the same level as as some of those other guys. And truthfully, he might not be as a middle linebacker, because as you said, he was playing out of position all three years he was here. 
uh, Alex Grinch allowed him to do some things, move around a little bit. Um, so that was good to see him do that. But you're right. Uh, it's not every college football player that you come across who literally lives and dies with every play. Yeah. Every rep, every workout, every practice. Uh, you don't see those guys very, very often that take it as seriously as, as Kenneth Murray did. And I respect the hell out of him for that. Yeah. It's, it's a shame that Alex Grinch couldn't have been here sooner because who knows how good Kenneth Murray could have truly been. It's a shame that, I mean, yeah. I, I'm excited. And Brian for, Odom too. Yeah. I'm excited for him to go to the NFL. He's going to test well at the combine. If he's healthy, God willing, he stays healthy. Um, he's going to get drafted fairly high considering where, like where he was coming from after his first two years and he's going to make himself a pretty penny. So I'm happy for him in that respect, but it's just a shame that we're not going to get to see him in a fully blossomed Alex Grinch defense moving forward. But I just wanted to put that out there. So shout out to Keith Murray. You are in my eyes, you are a great sooner. Um, he see, certainly made it, made some improvements. Went a lot, came a long way, didn't he? Exactly. And he, at times he was OU's best player, even on a team with CD lamb, who I yeah. wanted to get to next. I, you know, I started watching OU football in 1999, so I've basically seen OU football since they've decided to throw the forward pass because, you know, I wasn't born during the wishbone days. Um, you're talking about guys like Steve Rhodes, Tinker Owens that held all these receiver records, and they were fantastic athletes, football players and receivers in their own right. But I've grown up watching guys like Antoine Savage, Curtis Fagan, Mark Clayton, uh, Ryan Broyles, Sterling Shepard, Malcolm Kelly, Joaquin Iglesias, all these guys. And, John, I am 100% confident in telling you this. CeeDee Lamb is the best receiver in OU history. Okay. He's absolutely the best receiver in OU history, and he proved it from the minute he walked on campus. And it's like, yeah, he, he played he, his freshman year, he had the luxury of playing with Baker Mayfield, the guy who you highlighted as being so good that he understood the value of balancing out your attack. So he wasn't going to lock on to one guy. And so a, fre a true freshman in CeeDee Lamb was going to be able to walk into the offense with his talent and get his fair share of opportunities from Baker Mayfield. And then he had the luxury of playing with Kyler Murray a second year. But his ability to just make catches, his ability to make contested catches, his ability to this year become a game-breaking receiver, because that's something that really surprised you and I throughout the year. We didn't think he, he made a lot of plays we didn't think he was capable of. He's – he – I, I, I don't know. Maybe Mark Clayton is just a little bit better than him in terms of game break ability. But, like, it, it's really close. And, like, I just have to say, I, I think CeeDee Lamb is OU's best receiver in program history, and I'm going to miss him. Well, OU's had four first-round draft picks. They've had four second-round draft picks who were receivers. Uh, and then they've had some other guys who were medium middle round draft picks who have played Brandon who Jones to play long time in the NFL played like 10 years. Um, so let me ask you this. You say, you say CD is the best unequivocally. I say CD is, he's certainly on that list. And I'm, I mean a list of no more than four guys. Yeah. I can't say I saw Eddie Hinton play, so I'm going to remove him from the, <laughs> from the, from the, from the uh, equation. He was a little before my time. Um, Mark Clayton, in terms of his uh, um, spectacular turn a, turn a three-yard catch into a 22-yard 
you know, oh my God, how did he do that kind of catch? He's the yak Mar- god at OU. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Marquise Brown, the deep ball, the the lord of the deep ball. Yep. You know, throw it deep and then he'll go get it wherever it is on the field. He's the fastest probably receiver OU's ever had. Malcolm Kelly, nobody was ever better at, at high pointing a ball, including CD. Um, Ryan Broyles, nobody was more productive Consistent. than Ryan Broyles. Nobody was more reliable than Ryan Broyles. And then Sterling Shepard. You said consistent. I was saving consistent for Sterling Shepard. You knew every time you threw the ball to Sterling Shepard that he was going to, A, catch it, and B, do something very important. Yeah. So so I would I would say, and then D.D. Westbrook. I mean, he's the only Blitnikoff winner in program history. How do <laughs> we know, overlook that's, him? That's the weird thing. Uh, and D.D. Westbrook was great. The year he, he had won 19, the blitz. T- 19 touchdowns, yeah, didn't he? But it, it's just so weird that OU has had all those names and none of them won a Blitnikoff. It just goes to show you that pre like these postseason awards, a lot of it just goes in with preseason hype. And for whatever reason, a lot of those receivers rarely went into those particular years with little preseason hype. Let me let me just say this: uh, all the everybody everybody loves CD. I think uh, I, I I think CD is a wonderful person. I think he's an amazing football player. And uh, in terms of catching the football, he, he might be the best in the country this year. I, vo- I voted for him second behind Chase on my Bolitnikoff ballot. Oh, it's your fault. It's my fault. But, <laughs> um, and the Bolitnikoff reminds us every year they've had three ballots where one vote was the difference. So, yeah, it's, I'll, I'll take the blame. It's my fault. <laughs> um, but when the NFL gets their hands on him, which they did because he declared today, so the NFL is, from this point forward, going to uh, get their hands on him. When they start prodding him and poking him and um, looking at his three-cone drill and his 40-yard dash time, I think he's going to be fine in the vertical, in the broad jump. I don't know how quick he's going to be. I'm talking, I'm talking just raw times. Yeah. Is he going to run a 4-4? Uh-uh. No way. Is he going to run a 4-5? Mm, maybe. Is he going to run four six? Very possible. You know, you know would, what I'm saying. I wouldn't. He's be a fantastic shocked. football player who might not test all that well and end up in the second round or third round or something like that. I wouldn't be shocked if he's just if he goes through some training regiment that just he somehow squeezes out a four five four four. If he runs a four five, he's like he's he's going to be fine in the NFL for that for that frame and and as long as his arms and legs are. And as well as he can catch the ball, four or five is just fine. Yeah, um, but people—I mean, people—Sooner fans need to temper their expectations. He's not going to be a top ten pick in the NFL draft. Wide receivers just aren't top ten picks in the NFL draft no, typically, yeah. and and unless they are six two, two fifteen, and and run a four three, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And yeah. and have caught a hundred passes. CD checks all the boxes. I just think when the NFL starts really putting the screws to him and testing him at the combine and stuff that they're not going to be blown away by his numbers. Yeah. Like it's just an opinion I've had like weirdly. (laughs) I don't know if you remember this. I believe it was the fourth quarter of the Rose bowl and Oh, you needed to drive. I think it was the drive where Baker Mayfield found Dimitri flowers in the end zone to either. Did they take the lead or did they tie it? I think they took the lead because then Georgia went on that drive and kicked the field goal to force overtime where DJ Ward missed the sack that would have won the game. Mm-hmm. But um, on that drive, Baker Mayfield, it was a second or a third down. And he went through his progressions, and CeeDee Lamb was the last guy on his read because he just had to heave it down the sideline to CeeDee Lamb 
who made just an NFL catch at 18 years old. Yeah, yeah. And from that moment on, I was like, this this dude, this dude's special. I don't know who makes that. Like, I don't know if Sterling Shepard makes that catch just simply because Sterling Shepard doesn't have the frame and the arms of, of a C.D. Lamb. That's right. Uh, I don't know if Hollywood Brown makes that catch because Hollywood Brown is a burner. I don't know if Mark Clayton, for the same reasons as uh, Sterling Shepard, Ryan Broyles for the same reasons. So ever since that play, I've just kind of watched C.D. Lamb play throughout his career with the idea of this is the best receiver that has ever played at OU. And so everything that he did as a result just kind of helped that opinion grow and grow and grow. But so maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm looking a little bit too much at it. But I just I, I just want to stress I am a millennial and I am young to some people, but I don't just look around and say, Oh, Baker Mayfield's the best quarterback ever. Like, no, I understand that there were tons of players that played before him for other schools and for OU that were great in their own right. I understand history, but even with all that said, I, I just CD I think is incredibly special and OU does have their receiver room is incredibly loaded. That's just gonna be a monumental loss unless Jaden Hazelwood is just that guy now moving forward. Can't disagree with you. That's um, he, he's an unbelievably talented kid. But um, I guess we did have a question. So I guess before we got into uh, uh, final thoughts, I guess let's just get into the question. Um, Dave, the legend on Twitter asks us, and this is actually a good question, John. Um, does Lincoln Riley need an OC? Do you think that would make it easier on him? Um, yes, it would make it easier on him. Would it be better for the offense? Are you going to find an offensive coordinator who's who's better than Lincoln Riley? No. I mean, you have to ask yourself that question. Joe Brady? I th- <laughs> well, there you go. I think it diminishes his, uh, his ability to be a big-picture head coach, but at the same time, the trade-off is he's still one of the top offensive coordinators if not the number one offensive coordinator in the country so that's something you something you have to measure well john uh looks like you're about to board so any quick final thoughts on the peach bowl or ou season or moving forward i mean whatever you want story at the franchise okay.com about um about the the defense from alex grinch last night lincoln riley this morning where the defense stands how much more they've got to go how much further they need to go so uh check that out it's on the website wrote it just before I placed this call. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, John, for all the great work that you do covering OU football. You did a fantastic job this year for the franchise. I love everything that you write. I've always loved everything that you write. Uh, and considering my opinion on Bob Stoops, you know, you've been my favorite OU media guy for the last 15, 20 years. So <laughs> appreciate all that you do. And I know you're going to keep grinding as a uh, recruiting season, spring football comes along. So we look much forward to more John Hoover stuff, but um, everybody, thank you so much for listening to the Inside OU Podcast. Like I said on the previous episode, we will have off-season content, so don't worry. We will be back fairly soon. Um, but for Mr. John Hoover, this is Brady Trantham. Y'all have a good rest of your day. Listen to Brady Trantham Saturdays from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. on 107.7 The Franchise and 107.9 The Franchise Tulsa. Follow him on Twitter at Brady Does Sports. Catch all of John Hoover's work at thefranchiseok.com.
Follow him on Twitter at John E. Hoover and be sure to catch all of his radio call-ins throughout the week on 1077 The Franchise and 1079 The Franchise Tulsa. Subscribe, rate, and review all the podcasts in the Franchise Podcast Network. The Sam Mays Podcast, All In, Inside OU, OKC82, and Intimate with TV's Jerry can be found in all the places you listen to your podcasts. Seriously, just subscribe. You don't even have to listen.